Hello and welcome to BB on the Record, this podcast from British Bandsmen. I'm Mark Good, editor of British Bandsmen, and in this episode, I chat to Helen Williams, the flugelhorn player with the number one ranked band in the world, the Cody Band. Helen looks back on a historic victory with Marple Band 25 years ago at the British Open Championship, then held at the Bridgewater Hall in Manchester. She became the first and so far only female principal cornet player to take the title, as well as the prize for best instrumentalist. Helen also charts her musical career to date, from the little girl given her dad's old trumpet to her lengthy spells at Poynton, Marple and Fodens. Helen discusses nearly retiring from playing to making a life-changing decision with husband Glyn that took the couple to the South Wales Valleys where the rest, as they say, is history. But first, how is life for Helen Williams? I'm doing really well at the moment, actually. Um, The sun is shining in South Wales today. My washing is out on the line. I've been out for a power walk this morning, so all is good. I just need to make sure I've got time to do my practice later on. What a positive way to open. But as someone, Helen, who's used to this full-on schedule with Cody Band right there at the elite level of banding, how strange was it to have that taken away during these various lockdowns? It has to be said, when everything uh, kicked off in March 2020 um, and the rug was pulled under under us from playing in band and, and just about everything, wasn't it? Um, I felt almost bereaved. Um, it was a very, very strange feeling not to be doing something every night, every going away every weekend. Yeah, and not having anything to practice for in particular. That was the the hardest thing, really. And yeah, it it did feel a bit like a bereavement. And because we didn't know when we were going to be back, quite difficult to cope with. Yes, the uncertainty, I think, has been a huge factor for people. And as you say, overnight taking away something which so many people really enjoy at whichever level of banding that it is. Now, you did find yourself taking part in some video recordings and distance videos and so on and so forth. Did those help provide something to aim for? Absolutely, yes. Philip Harper's very clever, isn't he? He was keeping us motivated. He was still feeding us music, um, even when we weren't going to be performing it live to an audience. So, yes, it gave us something to work towards. Um, We've all developed all kinds of different skills as well. We're getting quite good with cameras and recording and stuff like that these days. It, It was a steep learning curve for us from the beginning of it all, but we've all become experts now. And I guess these performances, the videos have helped to provide some focus. You mentioned yourself, we're all so used to having that next concert, that next contest coming up. You take all that away and it's understandable that people might struggle for motivation a little bit. How did you find the experience? It was quite difficult to cope with it all, um, but my Arben stays on the music stand in our living room at all times um, and it is looking extremely tattered after this last 17 months because both myself and my husband Glyn have just been playing at home most of the time so yeah so yeah we've we've tried to keep motivated we've pushed each other which is which has been good we've challenged each other to uh, to different things you know who can get through this study without breathing um who can you know how far can he get through this page without making a mistake or a split nose or anything like that you know so there's been a lot of that going on and of course we've had contact with other members of Corey Band as well so we've pushed each other that way 
Um, and Glyn conducts a band at Oldbourne, so he's been pushing them to do things as well. So obviously I've had a bit of interaction with them as well. Um, and some of my students as well, I've been sending little videos of me playing something so that they have to play it back to me. So, you know, that sort of thing kept it going. Um, I particularly enjoyed putting together um, little a cappella uh, sessions. Um, I raided all my music that I've ever had for anything, any small ensemble stuff. Um, I was sitting and with my phone on the music stand videoing me and obviously with the, the a cappella app um, you have to record a whole take perfectly. So you record one take as long as that's perfect when you listen back to it then you can record the next part and so on so sometimes depending on how complicated the music is that you're trying to record it can take quite some considerable time to do it if you know when you're searching for perfection and you're being super critical of what you're doing so yeah that was a really good practice tool it's been really interesting isn't it when we're, we're so used to live performance and you go up on stage and you have one shot and you go for it, but it's a different mentality when you press that button and you get the red light on. And I know people far and wide will be able to identify with those struggles over the past few months. Yeah, I think recording yourself playing is a really, really good practice tool anyway. I mean, I've, I've always done it a little bit, um, but now, I mean, it's like it's like one of the main things that you do now. You, you listen to yourself play, listen to it back be really really critical you're writing on your music what what needs to be done breathing in a different place or whatever you know so it's a good practice tool um and i know lots of people have been a bit intimidated about about recording things and and submitting them to somebody else who's obviously putting videos together and things like that but it is just a good practice tool if you get into the habit of it it definitely becomes less frightening to do it well, now things have taken another step forward, albeit at slightly different rates around the UK. How are things looking for Corey at present? What are you able to do with the band at the moment? We tried a couple of uh, car park rehearsals, uh, one in Driving Rain, which we all insisted on playing through because we were so excited to be back <laughs> playing together. Uh, and then we moved into um, the local football club in uh, Tom Pentra, which had a, a massive function room. So we've been rehearsing on uh, Thursday nights in there, all socially distanced. Um, a very strange experience indeed. Um, you just can't hear anybody else playing, so you, you're absolutely reliant on what the conductor is doing all the time. And uh, it's like using the force, really, to play. You can't I, Where I sit, I can't hear what the back row cornets are doing. I can't hear what the trombones are doing. Always hear them. The euphoniums can't you but you know so it's very very difficult um, and then for the last um, few weeks we've been managing a Monday night rehearsal as well in our own new band room facility with just half the band at a time so one Monday will be the top half of the band the following Monday will be the lower half um, and we have been looking at um, some more serious music and going into some more detail because it because we can hear each other playing and you can actually get down to the nitty-gritty of things. But yeah, we've been doing that and we have actually had um, a couple of performances as well. We, uh, we recorded all socially distanced in St David's Hall in Cardiff for, for WOD play, which was great. It was fantastic to play in a great acoustic and even though we were socially distanced, we could hear a lot better in there, which uh, hopefully comes across on the performance. Um, and we also performed a couple of weekends ago uh, for a wedding 
uh, with Only Men Allowed. They were there as well playing. And we played um, in a place called Charfield in South Gloucestershire as well. We gave a, a free concert there outdoors in a, a marquee with no sides on, yeah, like a gazebo kind of thing. Um, and it was just wonderful to perform to an audience on both those occasions to have the feed, instant feedback for what you're doing is, uh, yeah, something that we, we definitely cherish. It's great to hear of those continued strides forward, especially after all of this time. And yes, getting back to performing, which is hopefully why so many of us get involved in the first place. One unfortunate setback for bands around the country came with the, the recent postponement of the British Open, which had been due to take place in September. It's now hoped the contest will happen in January 2022. What was going through your head when you heard that news? My instant reaction was, I'm absolutely gutted. Um, I, I, I'm desperate to perform. I'm desperate for things to, to get back to normal. But I understand the reasons. I really understand the reasons. And um, if I was in charge of organising all of that sort of thing, I, I mean, I just don't know where I would start because there are so many, so many things to take into consideration with it. And so, yes, I'm, I'm gutted. Selfishly, I'm gutted I won't be playing in the contest on on that day and I have to wait now for a few few more months and um, but yes I do understand exactly why it's happened we have to be realistic don't we have you had much of an opportunity to see or play the world rejoicing the new test from Edward Gregson yet of course it was due to be premiered in Birmingham yeah, we did. We did do a little bit of work on it with Corey. Um, obviously, we were mindful all the time that we we've just sort of been doing one full band rehearsal a week, which is not normal. You know, we'd be doing two rehearsals and we'd be away every weekend performing. So, in order to get match fit, yes, we were. We did start looking at things um, in a little bit of detail when we had the band split in in half for Monday nights, um, but but not a great amount. But we're, you know, we're all familiar with how it goes. We've played through it, and Phil Harper's recorded it, so, you know, he's decided what he's he's going to do with it. And we all know because we've played through it, we all know what we need to practice. Well, while audiences, of course, will be disappointed as well not to get to Symphony Hall for the British Open this year, it means twenty twenty two could provide a feast of opportunities with two Opens and a European all now pencilled in for next year. From a playing perspective, how much do you enjoy performing in that lovely hall? I really like playing in Symphony Hall. Um, I can't remember having a, a sort of a feeling of a, a giving a bad performance ever in there. Yeah, it, it's a great place to play. You look out and you see all the beautiful wood, the red and the gold in the hall, and, and it just lifts your performance because of the venue. And you know it's, it's just easy to play in there. It's a great place to perform in. Well, talking of the British Open, Helen, you have a very special relationship uh, with this contest. In fact, it's almost 25 years since you created some history at the event then held at the Bridgewater Hall. There you were taking to the stage with the Marple Band as Principal Cornet, Gary Cutt was conducting, and you won the contest. And you were the first and so far only female Principal Cornet player to do so. And you won the Best Instrumentalist Prize. Can you take me back to that day? What do you remember of it? Now you say it's 25 years ago, it feels forever ago. But, you know, really, it, it, you know, my memories are as fresh now as, as uh, they were then. A great day. We, we drew last band on 
um, and it was a long day. I think we were band number 22. So it was a long day. We'd all been in Manchester from very early doors to rehearse. We took the band on the tram to um, a local bowling alley. We went bowling to pass some time um, and then went went and performed. Um, we knew that we'd, you know, we did what we, we were supposed to do. We played just like we had been doing in rehearsals. And Gary Cutt had always said to us, you know, you, we're just a little village band, but if ever there was a day where we could do well, this is it. On this test piece... You know we could do really well so we went we played uh we delivered what we were supposed to deliver very happy with our performance came off stage as you do um head to a local hostelry for a glass of lemonade um and i think someone had just put my first pint of lemonade in my hand and someone came running into the pub shouting we've won we've won we've won and everything went silent this is you know this is a band a pub full of bands people Everything went silent and it was like, you're absolutely joking, aren't you? You're just pulling my leg. No, no, we've won. You need to come back to the hall now. You need to come back to the hall. So I was dragged off back to the hall, running back into uh, the Bridgewater Hall. And, and Chris, who'd come to get me, said, oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you, you've won the solo prize as well. It was like, oh, my gosh. Um, absolutely amazing that a little village band could win the British Open. I woke up the next morning um, and I was at my uh, mother-in-law's house, still in my band uniform. <laughs> um, apparently we'd taken the, the British Open shield on the train from Manchester to uh, Glossop, uh, where we'd continued our, our celebrations. Um, so I woke up the next morning still in my uniform and I had to drive back home at that point. And I remember just driving along and then all of a sudden thinking, oh my gosh, what have we done? What have we done? This is amazing for a village band to topple all these giants. Yes, yeah, so it was just a really special time for me. Um, something I'd worked really hard for and uh, in fact, all the band had worked really hard. And there it was, that big gold shield was in our band room. What wonderful memories to treasure. Where was Marple at that time in the grand scheme of things? Was the band making a name for itself before the contest? The band had had three fourth prizes before that at the British Open. So, you know, we were kind of a, a there or thereabouts kind of band that every now and again, if we had a really good day, we could, you know, take a few scalps, that, that kind of thing. So, yeah, we, you know, we were doing really, really well. But we were essentially just a village band. And what was the personnel like around the stand? I mean, are we talking a, a star-studded lineup, or was it more a, a dedicated, really like-minded and very talented bunch of people? Uh, the core of the band it was just like a family. Um, we'd all been together for quite some time by that point. Um, yes, there were changes every now and again. Um, uh, I think we had um, John Maines came and played trombone with us that day because we had a vacancy on trombone. But essentially, the band was the band that was there every single rehearsal. So, so no, not a star-studded lineup at all. And Gary Cutt was conducting. How significant was his involvement in the build-up and on stage itself? You've already touched on the, the kind of mindset I think he wanted to steer you to in terms of village band, but today could be the day. Well, Gary had been conducting the band um, since it was in the third section. So I joined um, just as they came out of the third section and went into the second section. Um, this was before there was a first section, back in the olden days. 
so yes I joined then that was back in 1986 so over 10 years you know we moved up the ranks we worked really really hard um gary uh, was obviously the linchpin around which all of that revolved and um, he was at every rehearsal he did every concert you know for, for most of that that 10 year period so it was his band of course you were right in the middle of it there with marple were you able to gauge what other bands made of it you did of course topple some some banding heavyweights as it were on the day Yes, I know. I know for a fact lots of people weren't very happy with it. But look, for 10 minutes on that day, on that test piece, those three judges thought we were the best. And it's our name that's on the shield. Well, having reflected, Helen, on this special moment in time, that brings us neatly to your piece of the podcast today. So let's listen to some of that winning performance from the 1996 British Open. This is Marple Band, conducted by Gary Cutt, performing... The Seven Suite.
the sound of Marple Band under the baton of Gary Cutt performing The Severn Suite. Music by Edward Elgar, arranged by Bram Gay. That was the winning performance from the 1996 British Open Championship and playing on Principal Cornet and winning the Best Instrumentalist Prize was my guest today, Helen Williams. Helen, let's go back even further now. What's your brass band origin story? How did it all begin for you? My dad is a player. Um, he played trumpet when he was younger, um, gave it up um, and then was dragged back into playing by a local brass band. Um, I'm a terrible daddy's girl and because my dad was in the band, I wanted to be in the band as well. So when I was 10 years old, he uh, dragged his trumpet down from the attic and that's where I started. Dad taught me to, to play to start with. He was very strict with me. Um, I had to practice half an hour every day and if I didn't, and I do remember there was an occasion where this happened, he took the trumpet off me and that was it. You're not playing anymore. If you're not going to do it seriously, then you're, you're not going to do it at all. So uh, yeah, I learnt my lesson and uh, I definitely still practice every single day. So he, my dad played for uh, Pointer Band, which is the Vernon Building Society band now. And after I'd been playing about 12 months, um, I was appointed assistant principal third cornet of Point and Band, who were a second section band then. And I worked my way slowly but steadily up the cornet section over the following 10 years. And which bands were you playing within those early years of your playing? Did you dart around a little bit? No, I'm a very dedicated player. Um, I played for 10 years with Point and Band. And then I moved to Marple uh, on Principal Corner and I stayed there for 13 years. Um, then I changed over to Flugel uh, and went to Foden's where I had uh, 16 very happy years. And now I've been at Corey for six years. So yeah, I don't move around very often. Certainly not by the sounds of things. At what point did you really start to turn the screw with your playing? Was it right back in those early days when your dad said, look, if you don't practice, the instrument's getting taken off you? Were you always quite serious about it? Um, I'm a very determined person. Um, I enjoy my playing. I, I like to think I'm quite good at it. So that because of my success, that pushes me further. I knew when I was quite young that, um, yes, I could get as far as I could get. But because I was a female, I knew that I couldn't play for the band I really wanted to be in, which was the fairy band. And they were my local championship section band, but there was no hope whatsoever of me ever playing for them because of my gender. I think eventually I was just quite resigned to that fact. Um, I decided I wasn't going to study music. I wasn't going to go to college or anything like that because what, what was the point when I couldn't be in fairy band and bands like that? Um, so, so yeah, when I left school, I went to work, I had a family, um, but always kept playing, always that determination there, always practising and just pushing and pushing and pushing as, as far as I could. Um, and eventually, you know, if you, if you work hard enough, you get noticed. Um, so, so that's basically what what happened. It seems like a different age when I hear you talk about that and thankfully as we look around the stand in so many bands today, men, women, it, 
it's not an issue, although banding isn't quite there yet in terms of other areas of perhaps diversity and in other areas away from strictly the playing capacity, areas of leadership and so on, where we'd love to see more women getting involved in those positions. But looking at your own career there, Helen, we've looked at the special success with Marple in 1996. Around three or so years later, you moved to Foden's. How did that opportunity come about? Although I, I was quite a good cornet player, um, I always secretly harboured the desire to be a flugel player. Um, when I did my 10 years at Poynton, there was always somebody really good playing flugel there. And throughout my years at Marple, there was always somebody really good playing flugel there. Um, so when um, I sort of let it be known to a few of the girls from Foden's band that I might be up for a change, uh, when Nick Childs phoned me and said, look, I don't suppose you'd fancy playing flugel with Foden's, would you? It was one of those, um, I'll just think about this for a minute, yes. Yes, I'd love to. Thank you. Yes. When can I start? So, so yeah, it, that was a, a dream come true for me. My, my kids were old enough that I could organise playing for a busier band where I had to travel a little bit further. So, yes, that was a definite dream come true for me. Now, you'd already enjoyed, of course, success at that point. You'd already won the British Open. Were you phased at all when you started at Foden's or was it just a case of sitting down and showing everyone what you could do? There was a little bit of that. Um, I did notice, however, as soon as we got onto a contest platform with Foden's, um, the atmosphere was completely different. The expectation was really different. Um, I'd been playing all that time with Marple where we were the underdogs and everybody wanted us to win. It felt a completely different thing when I went on stage with Foden's. I don't know whether it was because playing flugel, then I was facing the audience and I was eyeballing people in the audience, you know, whether or not that had any sort of impression on me. But I definitely felt a change in gear on the contest platform. Um, the pressure was definitely there for you to perform. You enjoyed a lengthy and very successful time with Foden's, including a Nationals Open double in 2012. But how do you look back on your time there? Foden's is a, a, a top band. It's a big band. Um, however, Foden's is also like a family, just like for me, it was family banding at Marple and at Poynton. Um, there'll always be a little bit of me that says Poynton, Marple and Foden's, even though I, I play at Corey now. I'm interested in what those bands do all the time. If ever I can help them, I, you know, I, I, I'm there for them and I will always promote them. So, so yeah, it Foden's is a family band, uh, just like Corey is for me now. Are you able to pick out any particular highlights from your time with Foden's, whether it be a contest performance or perhaps something else? Um, I think it was when we when we did the double in 2012. Um, that was my first Nationals win and I felt like I'd waited an awful long time for it. Um, <laughs> I'd waited that long. If you if you ever see any of the pictures of us celebrating on stage, you can't see me because I'm at the back of everybody uh, bawling my eyes out because <laughs> I just I realised that we'd won the nationals and not only that, it was a double as well. So yeah, that, that was that was very very special. Um, Foden's are a hard-working band, um, always aspiring to be the best that that they can be, and. It just felt that they'd waited so long for something like that to happen in their history. It was, yeah, it was a great thing to be a part of. Now, after having been involved with Foden's for 15 or 16 years, you would have been forgiving for saying you were ready to put your feet up and step back from it all. 
But we know that's not what happened. Instead, you and your husband Glenn upped sticks, you relocated to the South Wales Valleys and you joined the Cory Band. So how did that all come about? Uh, 2015 was a, a year of significant birthdays for both Glenn and myself. And we decided that when we reached those significant ages, that we were going to hang up our boots, as it were. Um, I was going to retire from playing altogether. I just felt like I'd done enough. We'd been so busy with Foden's and stuff like that. It, you know, it was time to have a rest. Um, Glenn fancied doing more conducting, more serious conducting that, you know, sometimes his playing get sort of conflicts with all of that. So we decided that was what was going to happen. Um, the next minute, we had a phone call to our house from Phil Harper asking if Glyn um, would be able to help Corey at the Europeans in 2015, to which he said, I'd love to. Absolutely brilliant. So off he went down to do a rehearsal. Um, I was so jealous that he was doing this because I'd already had a connection with Corey. I, tra I travelled to Australia with them a couple of years before that and toured. Um, so it felt it was like, you know, what are you doing going there when... You know, they're my adopted band. So Glinda, I think he did one rehearsal with Corey and uh, came home and he said, oh, it's, it's terrible. Um, Dickie, who's playing flugel, he's not well at all. He's got a bad back. He's really, really struggling. Um, so the next morning, Phil Harper was on the phone to me. Dickie's not going to be able to do the Europeans. He, he, you know, he's too poorly to do it. Um, I don't suppose there's any chance you could come as well, could you? So that was another, let me think about it for a minute. Yes, I'll be there. So, um, yeah, we we managed to change our schedules, move things around um, so that we could travel from Saddleworth, where we were living at the time, down to South Wales for rehearsals and back all the time. So, so yeah, that was where it all started. And we knew we were enjoying playing with Corey for that, that period of time. Um, and we kind of knew the question was going to come. Um, you know, they just happened to have a euphonium and a flugel vacancy by that point. So, yeah, it was like, what, what should we say if they ask, what can we do? And it was, well, you know, we live so far away and I'd never lived further than 45 minutes away from my parents who are in uh, South Manchester. And of course, there's my my two grown up sons are up there as well. So it was a bit, oh, well, don't know, don't know, don't know. Let's think about it. And then we thought, well let's just have a go let's just do it for 12 months let's do something different you know Corey playing in the european and they've got a tour to america planned and all of this so right okay we'll do it so um a couple of days after my significant birthday when i was going to quit playing altogether we signed on the dotted line for Corey, and yeah, relocated everything jobs house the, the whole kit and caboodle moved everything to south wales and haven't regretted it for a second. It's been absolutely brilliant. So a major decision, as you've outlined, but clearly a decision which you both have really relished. And since then, musically, the success with Corey and Philip Harper has been off the scale, and Corey's gained this reputation for being really electrifying with its exciting brand of music making. How has it felt for you? Has it been like a, a new chapter in your musical career? Um, it's like somebody's given me an injection of enthusiasm. Um, I practice more now than I think I ever have done. Um, and I enjoy practicing more. Um, I'm loving the music that, that we play. It, it's just so exciting to be part of this team 
where everybody's pulling their weight all the time and delivering such fantastic performances. It just really pushes you. And to see what we've achieved, um, we never, ever sit back on our laurels with all of this. Every time we see the trophies um, that are on display in our new band room, it's a, well, we just need to work twice as hard to make sure that they can come back again the next time, you know. So it inspires us to keep keep practising. It strikes me like you have rather a nice balance there. It's nice to be able to look back and reflect on those achievements so far. But of course, you want to keep looking forward. You want to be thinking about what's that next achievement going to be. Absolutely, yeah. Phil Harper um, pushes us to be like that all the time. We're very, very lucky to have him. He's like the full package um, arranger, composer, conductor, and he's a brilliant man manager as well. He, you know, he makes sure everything is is great with all the musicians that he has there. And uh, obviously, because he's composing music and arranging music, he knows his team. He knows who can play what, what will sound fantastic by certain players and so on. And yeah, a brilliant combination, I think, there of great players all around the stand and a good leader with Phil Harper. When you're involved in a, a top-level band, as you have been for so many years, people would expect there's a certain level of, of discipline in rehearsals and in terms of the way that the players conduct themselves. But that really seems to be the case with Corey. And I've heard Philip say before that certainly in normal times, rehearsals would often begin early because everyone's there and they're prepared and they're warmed up and ready to go. Is that how you read the situation? Absolutely. Um, we were quite shocked when we, we first came down to South Wales that we, you know, we'd set off, go to band. Um, rehearsal starts at 7.30. Well, that's the time it's supposed to start. Um, if we got to the band room any later than seven o'clock, there was nowhere to park because everyone was already there. So, yeah, everybody gets there as early as they can do. Everybody's warmed up. Everything's organised. So, so yeah, sometimes quarter past, 20 past seven, you know, it, everybody's ready to go. So why not? Why not start then? Um, unfortunately, we never finish early. Rehearsal <laughs> always still lasts till half past nine, no matter what time we begin. As far as all the, the other discipline, I think it, it's something that is so ingrained in me now. I, you know, that, that is the behaviour that, that we expect at band. And obviously, we've got lots of young players that are coming through the ranks. And, um, you know, we educate them by showing them the way. You don't usually have to tell people things. There are occasions, obviously, but you don't usually have to tell people. If you show them how to behave and what is expected of them, you know, everybody kind of falls into line with it. So as we look back then, Helen, on this distinguished playing career and the various twists and turns that you've taken... Are you able to point to any major musical influences on your playing? Um, obviously, my dad. My dad started me off playing. Yeah, so I'll be I'll be forever in his debt for for doing that. And I know he's really proud of all the things that I achieve now. Um, I had lessons for a short time when I was at school with Norman Ashcroft, who was uh, an ex fairy principal cornet player. Um, I remember things that he told me. I was, you know, I was only like 11, 12 years old and I was only able to have lessons with him for about 12 months. But I do remember lots of the things that he taught me. Um, Alan Lawton, who's uh, recently passed away, he used to take me to slow melody contests. He taught me how to play melody and all the words of wisdom that, you know, he gave to me, all the things that he taught me will always stay with me. Um, as far as my heroes, um, Jim Shepherd is my my brass hero. Um, he's a lovely man. Um, I still can't speak in his presence. I get all tongue tied when when I'm with him. 
but yeah he's my absolute hero and he's a lovely man a brilliant player and I used to copy him all the time when I played Cornet. So how are you feeling then Helen about these weeks and months ahead are you eager now to get back to it all as soon as safely possible? I'm really keen for things to get back to as normal as we can do. Um, I'm having to sort of manage my expectations because things keep changing all the time. Um, and if I don't manage it, I'll get really fed up. Um, so, yeah, trying to be realistic all the time. But I am desperate to go back to how, how things were before. Um, I need uh, more concerts in the diary. I need things to, to work towards... Um, I need to perform to an audience. It sounds awfully, awfully selfish, this, doesn't it? But, but that's, you know, that's what I've been doing like all my life. And, and I want to continue doing that for as long as I possibly can. That's it for this episode of BB on the Record. Thanks to Helen Williams and thank you to you for listening. Do get in touch about anything you might have heard on the podcast. You can email info at britishbandsman.com. That's info at britishbandsman.com. You can enjoy a digital subscription to British Bandsman. It costs just £42.99 for one year. For the latest news, interviews and masterclasses from the stars, make sure you don't miss out. Go to BritishBandsman.com and click on subscribe. As for this podcast, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. Or just ask your smart speaker to play the BB On The Record podcast. Join me next time on BB On The Record. Bye for now.